listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. This week I, I, I've been convicted by something I read. I didn't like it very much. Isn't that what happens when you get convicted? You don't like it, but it's like, eh, it's kind of true, and you kind of wonder about these kind of things. And, 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 and one of the things we even told a few of you coming in today, some of you that are, 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 are visitors, that this is your first time here, one of the things we have, seriously, the most comfortable seats in probably the church uh, worldwide. Like, these are pretty amazing seats. I got a text message from, from someone in our church who's in a church in Florida this morning, and, and they said, this church was terrible. They had uncomfortable seats. You know, we're spoiling you rotten. So you have comfortable seats, but we don't have a comfortable message for you. This is the Word of God, and God's Word corrects, and it reproves us, and it teaches, and it, it, it does encourage you, so you get comfortable, kind of, but we also continue to keep going deeper into the Word of God, and it sees that it, it convicts us it shows us areas that are wrongs, areas that are out of line, that are out of whack, and it teaches and it corrects us and shows us the way to go. And, and I saw this statement. I've seen it a number of times, kind of ignored it, but because I'm preaching on the Word of God and this kind of came to mind and I had to look at this. And, and the thought is, what if we treated our Bibles like we treat our cell phones? Ouch. What if we took our Bibles wherever we went? We wouldn't leave home without it. What if we turned back when we were driving somewhere when we realized that we forgot our Bibles? Won't we do that with our phones? We had some relatives visiting from Saskatchewan this summer, and my sister-in-law forgot her cell phone at home, so she had her sister go and go, go to her house, take her cell phone, send it by courier over to Victoria. They were in Cologne at the time, but they were going to be in Victoria the next day because she needed her cell phone. And, and what if we treated our Bibles like that, that we need our Bibles, we need the Word of God? Now, some of you are being smarty pants and you think, well, I have the Bible on my cell phone. But are you using it? Are you reading it? Are you actually in the Word of God on a regular basis in that way? Uh, what if we would turn the house or car or the office or wherever we are upside down if we lost our Bibles? Like we do our phones. Have you ever done that where all of a sudden I can't find my phone and you're doing that whole kind of thing and you start looking or whatever and thankfully because of modern technology being as amazing it is there's ways to help you find your phone if you lose it. You know you have the find my iPhone app or whatever and because I have kind of a, a, a movement towards always losing things usually on Sunday mornings keys, cell phone, wallet or Bible it's one of those things. Some friends have helped me out and, and actually you know they've helped me with, a, with you know a little thing in an app or whatever that if, if I've lost my key I lost my keys today. They're somewhere here. Well, you know what? We can just find those right now. You have my keys? Wonderful. Okay, I'll get them afterwards. Thank you, Nathan. Okay, so my keys are back there, and I played that little alarm. I can turn it off now. Well, I think I can. Um, anyway, so, you know, you have all of these different things, and, and what if we treated our Bibles in the same way? What if instead of busying ourselves throughout the day with dozens or maybe even hundreds of text messages throughout the day and information bites that we, we get through Facebook or whatever it is on social media that we see throughout the day on our phones, what if we were more concerned about getting messages from the text, the text of God's Word? What if parents were more concerned about ensuring their kids had a good Bible to read, one that they can read at at their level instead of making sure that their kids had the latest gadgets? It's interesting. How are we treating the Word of God? And this anchor verse today about we have this sure and steady anchor, it's the Word of God. 
And here's, here's one of these anchor verses that, that I'd love for you to write down, write down this reference, because, because here are some important um, verses for us to remember about being anchored to the Word of God. First, or Second Peter 1, verse 3. And I'll read this for you, encourage you to be looking this up, write it down even in your notes even now. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to a life of godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. All we need for life to be able to live a godly life, to have knowledge, comes through the knowledge of him. How do we get knowledge of him? Through the living word of God, through, through, through what we have on our pages. And, and, and we get this knowledge from him. Psalm 119, encourage you to read that. That's 176 verses. And isn't it amazing that God would choose the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses, to talk about the Bible? That's pretty cool. 174 verses of those 176 specifically mention the Word of God. Now, it uses different synonyms for it, uh, at least nine different ones like precepts, laws, commands, promise, word. It doesn't actually say Bible, but it has all of these other references, these synonyms, if I can say that right now, uh, to, to the Word of God. And in the Word of God, in verse 90, I mean, just read it. It is just so rich. We read some at our, our, our prayer time before the service this morning, just, just about what God's word promises to do in our lives. And look at what it promises in, in verse 98 of Psalm 119. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. You want to truly be wise? Young people, students today, you want to be wiser than your professors, wiser than your teachers? You want to be wiser than the mature, or as they say, the aged? You know, there are some things you're only going to learn through life as the years go on, but you want to be wiser than even the aged, your teachers, or even your enemies, those who are causing you, you misery and, 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 and making your life hard at times? Get to know the Word of God. It will give you direction. It will give you insight on how to be wise in all of these different areas of life. Wisdom comes through the word of God. Get to know the word of God. Jesus defeated the enemy. Matthew 4, another anchor chapter. Encourage you to be reading that this week. Jesus defeated the enemy, we see, with the word of God. After he was baptized and he goes and he goes into the wilderness and he is tempted by the enemy. How did he defeat the enemy? Through the word of God. When the devil came to him to tempt him three times, we see three times Jesus using, quoting the word of God, saying, it is written. And then he went on, and he, he quoted from Deuteronomy. I mean, who uses Deuteronomy to be able to, to fight off the enemy? Jesus does. If Jesus could use the word of God to defeat the enemy, how arrogant is it of us to think that we can defeat the enemy on our own power and our own strength? We go to the word of God. I mean, Think we can defeat the enemy and, and, and fight those negative things by memorizing movie lines? You know, the, the top movie lines. I, I, I did a little search on that this week and, you know, go ahead, make my day. You know, is, is that going to ward off temptation or, you know, or may the force be with you? You know, again, you know, or um, you talking to me? Uh, or... Um, E.T., phone home, you know, is that going to be able to help you withstand whatever, you know, give you, give you wisdom, you know, or um, 
Yeah, I mean, line after line that you could quote from movies, that's not going to get you anywhere. We use the word of God to defeat the enemy. We use the word of God in our lives. If Jesus used the word of God, so should we. And here's a statement I want to give to you today. I have to be honest with you in this. This is where it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable for any of us. If the word of God is not a part of your life, spiritual victory and peace and joy won't be a part of your life either. You cannot be an overcoming Christian. You can't be an overcoming person without the word of God. That is why we need to be anchored in the word of God, in the truths that we have there. We take them, we learn them, we, we claim them, we, we, we pray them, we fight off the enemy with them in order for us to be anchored and, and, and to live the lives of victory that the word of God promises for us as his children. That is why this needs to be a growing discipline in all of our lives, in all of us. Second Timothy uh, here in, in the book, Second uh, Timothy, Paul is writing this from prison to his young, dear friend, timid, protege, Timothy. And he's calling Timothy, Timothy, be a man of the word. Be in the word of God, Timothy. And this is the greatest charge that Paul could give a young pastor like Timothy. This is the greatest charge that any of us in this church, in this room, for every believer in Christ, this is the greatest charge that we would be People of the word of God. 2 Timothy, starting, just looking at, at chapter 3 here, this is where we're, we're going to pick it up, but our, our main text is going to be verse 14, but just to give some context here, we see in verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, hope your Bibles, hope you have them there under, and, and ready to underline some things as we go through it today. Verse 1, but understand this, that in the last days, now, the last days here in verse 1, as Paul writes them, as we see them in Scripture, this is from the time of the early church, from the time of the Apostle Paul until the return of Christ. And I believe so much that we are in the last days of the last days. I mean, it's getting closer. It's a coming. And, and, uh, and, and we've got to be ready, and we've we got to keep going. We, gotta, we keep telling others about Christ. We're on a mission. And it says, in the last days there will be times of difficulty. Now some versions will say perilous times, fierce times, difficult times. There will be times of difficulties. Notice nowhere in the Bible, in this passage and in any other place in the Bible, do we see that in, in the word of God at all that we should expect things to get better and better and better in our world. No, we see everything having, there's going to be pockets, there's going to be revival, there's going to be times where we see things getting better and better, but we see the continual decline of society and where things are at. And, and, and Paul goes on in, in verse 2, he says, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Is that not happening today? Yeah. Just the sheer volume of these things that are happening, the sheer volume of what's going on in our world can be overwhelming. Watch the news, whether you watch it online or read it online or, or you watch the, the 6 o'clock news or you watch it with Peter Mansbridge at 10 o'clock. Whenever it is, you just see what is going on. Now, it doesn't say that, that, that times are going to get worse and worse just out there in the world. He goes on to even tell us that, that things are going to get worse and worse even within the church. That even within the church of Jesus Christ, things will get worse and worse. Look at in verse 5. He's talking about there being false teachers, false prophets, 
imposters coming into the church. It says, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And he says, avoid such people. These false teachers, as you continue to read in there, have a form of godliness. They know the scriptures. They sound like they know what they're talking about, but they're not submitting to the scriptures themselves. They take a scripture passage out of context and combine it with another one, just like the devil. The devil did that. He used scripture. The second time that Jesus was tempted, he he quoted from the Psalms in order to try to defeat Jesus. He even knows the scriptures. And so the very word of God can be used by false teachers and imposters. A few years ago, the pastor's wife from the largest church in North America made a completely unbiblical statement that is basically rooted and filled in idolatry. But because she said it with a smile and her husband standing beside her, it sounded biblical, it sounded good, the congregation, amen, amen. Some of that for us, yes, yes, yes. You would think people would like, ah! she said that and, and in droves would, would leave? No, continues, because it, the next chapter goes on, Paul talks about the itching ears because these false teachers will give people what their itching ears, oh, I like that. Oh, I like that story. I, I like that story about all the problems, all the good times, all that's mine in Christ, all the prosperity, all the pleasures, all that's available. What about the sufferings? What about the persecutions? God's word speaks into this, and Paul warned Timothy, and he warns us, watch out for these creepers who, who get into the lives of people, and they are weak in the word. They don't know the word, and if we don't know the word, we can be led astray. And Paul warned us about it. You see, it's hard to identify a lie that is 95% true, right? Just get with that 5%, 95% of it can be true, but 5% can be a little off, can be a little, you know, just little little heresy or false teaching or whatever. Um, Just get them off track a little bit. You see, no one will follow someone. If somebody knocks, up, knocks on your door and sometimes you get these people showing up here at your door and they have their, their version of the Bible and white shirts or whatever they might have and, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, a 17-year-old kid and it says elder on it, you know, or something and, and they come in and they say, hi, I'm a wolf. I'm a false teacher. I'm part of a cult. Follow me. I mean, no way, you're not going to do it. But what happens is false teachers will take and they will use a lot of truth of Scripture, but change it and alter it to get it to say what they want to say. And Paul warns us about that. It has to match the teaching of the entire Word of God. And Paul says, avoid such people. Be careful. This is why we study the Word of God. This is why we're, gonna, we're working through this passage here, not just, we're adding other scripture verses that help you to understand and gain insight as we see the beauty of all 66 books working together in unity, but, but here we're working through this. And, and so now in verse 14, let's look at kind of our text here, dig into this here today. Verse 14, 2 Timothy 3, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, 
equipped for every good work. So this morning we're going to look at being anchored to the Word of God from this passage. We're going to see, I mean, this is just one passage of many to see how we can be anchored from the Word of God. But here we see we can be anchored by three C's. Hope you're going to remember these three C's. These are important. The first one, continuing in what we've already been taught. We see this in verse 14 and 15 here where, where Paul is telling Timothy, he says, Remember what you've learnt from your d- days of childhood, from, uh, that you were acquainted with the, the sacred writings. These can make you wise until salvation. These can bring you to the truth of Jesus Christ to bring you to that point where you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. And he says, Timothy, remember what you've learned from others and follow their example. This speaks of a godly heritage. This speaks of biblical community. This speaks of us needing one another in our lives to help teach us and to guide us and to learn along with us from the Word of God. And so here what Paul is doing, he's recalling the faithful example that Timothy had from his grandmother Lois and from his mother Eunice. We see this just in, in 1 Timothy chapter, chapter 1. They are referenced there. We see how these godly women taught him and lived before him the word of God, teaching it to him faithfully from infancy right up until he left home. What we know about Timothy's father is that he was a Hebrew, he was a Gentile, and he probably was not a believer. So it would have been a tough home environment. And Paul is telling Timothy, remember what they taught you. Remember their faithful example, how they lived out their faith. And then in verse 10, we even see here, he says, remember what I taught you, Timothy. How I desired to live out my faith. And this wasn't Paul being all pompous and arrogant and saying, oh, look at me, you know, like, Timothy, just remember me, example here, you know, like, look at all I've done, you know, I'm, I, I can, no, this is humility here, and he's, he, he's not saying remember my awesomeness, you know, remember the miracles I've done and the churches I've planted and all that, he says, no. In verse 10, he says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra which persecutions I endured. Yet from all of them, the Lord rescued me. Timothy witnessed Paul in these different circumstances. And and so Paul is now saying, Timothy, remember, remember, it was hard, it was tough, but how God delivered me from it all. Now, another anchor verse, and in order for you to understand this passage uh, a little more directly, what Paul is referring here is found in Acts 14. And so I encourage you to read Acts 14. There it is up, up there on the screen for you to write that down. Um, and what he's referring to is what's taking place here in, in chapter 14 of the book of Acts. And he says, remember how, remember how the Lord rescued me? Now, Timothy was in Lystra, and this is where Paul is referring. So there's a good chance that Timothy, as a young boy, had heard about and perhaps even witnessed what was going on. And he says, that yet the Lord rescued me. You see, Paul has a weird concept of deliverance. He has a weird concept of rescue. Because what happened in Lystra, Paul heals a guy, right? And, and I mean, gives this guy a new, fresh start in life. There, there's healing that comes to him. And yet, it cha- this healing, along with what he's teaching, challenges the religious institution as an end result, as a thank you for what he's doing. He gets dragged out of the city and stoned. 
uh, with rocks, not, not the other kind of stoning that, that can sometimes happen here in the Okanagan. And, and they thought he was dead, and, and they were like, good, job done. You know, they're, they're pelting him with rocks, and like, okay, he's done. But then we see that his disciples kind of gather around him, and like, Paul, hello, Paul, are you there? You know, and, and, and probably give him some water, and like, we got a heartbeat, we got a heartbeat. I don't know if they gave him mouth to mouth. I don't know how close to death he was, but, but the, the stoning people thought he was dead. And so what does he do? So he, he resuscitates, he gets back, back up, they give him water, probably, you know, some bandages and that. What does he do? He hightails it out of here, wouldn't you? I'm getting away from those guys. He goes right back into that city. He goes right, that's the Lord rescuing him? Yeah. Because he knew that God had called him and that God would be faithful to take him through the trials, the persecutions, and the suffering. Now later on we see him leave, but then we see him come back, plants a church. You know, continues on. He doesn't stop. He says, Paul, remember that. Or he's, he's telling Timothy, don't forget this. God delivered me. It would have been so easy for him to quit and say, okay, you know what? This is just, you know, prison, and now this is just one stoning. This is too much. I'm done. I'm out of here. Time to move on. Time, time to retire, you know, on the Mediterranean somewhere, you know, and, or go to some more friendly territory where they're not going to throw rocks at me for, for, for uh, healing of, of an individual. He could have easily been thinking, I'm being faithful. I'm doing the work you called me to do, and this is how you thank me, God? This isn't fair. But folks, listen, this is a mark of spiritual maturity that we're maturing in the word of God and we're maturing in our relationship with God that when we see even the trials and the suffering and the things that don't make sense as part of God's wisdom and part of his perfection, of his love for us, in accepting the circumstances what is, that is happening with a humble heart, as we see what is happening to us, where you're at right now, if you are someone who is trusting the Lord and believing in Him, it may be hard with what you're facing, but as you continue on, God will rescue. He will bring you through. Way different than you probably have imagined or hoped for or even prayed for, but God is there. And people are watching. There was a young Timothy who's watching all of this happen. God is in control, even in the midst of the pain. When I face a stoning, I haven't literally been stoned, but when I have faced hardships or trials or betrayals, a lot of times I have my pity party. Like, God, what are you doing? This doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem fair. But as we understand more and more, he allows it. He's using it. And to know that he's, something, he's up to something unbelievable in our lives as we stay faithful to him. Things that we're not even aware of. People are watching. Your children are watching you. Your grandchildren are watching. Your friends, your coworkers, fellow students are seeing that you have a faith and a trust and reliance on the word of God and the person of Jesus Christ no matter what you're facing. Not perfectly, but progressively that you're seeing this happen. That your faith is, is not getting, getting shipwrecked, but instead you're anchoring it to the word of God. Paul had a great heritage, or Timothy had a great heritage. Do you have a good heritage? People who have taught you the word of God? People who have taught it and lived it? If not, it's not too late to start one, to start that godly heritage. I'm so thankful for the grandparents that directed my life and, and my parents' life and Charlotte's parents' life. 
parents' lives and, and for my parents and for my in-laws. Sunday school teachers, pastors, people who have been people in the Word of God, people who have walked through life's road, not with ease, not with glamour, not with a whole bunch of worldly success, but a blessing from God because they have stayed faithful through trials, dangers, toils, and snares. I think it's so fitting that today I have an example of that faithfulness. My in-laws are here, people who have been an example of people who, again, not perfectly. My father-in-law is far from it. Oh, sorry, Jack. Um, he'd admit that, but but have progressively trusted the Lord. Charlotte and I both grew up with grain farming in our past, and we've, we've been there as young children, as teenagers, when the crop was wiped out with drought, grasshoppers, hail, or whatever, and to see a trust and reliance on God and his word that he is faithful, he will provide. We've been able to witness that in our lives, and we can pass that on to our children, to our grandchildren. And today, ironically, I mean, I, I love God's timing. The pastor who dedicated me is here pastor in Regina who dedicated me and, and to me growing up I loved just hearing his voice I, I didn't know what he was often talking about in church I was too young but, but my parents had us there faithfully we were listening to the word of God we were getting it just like Lois and Eunice were teaching the word of God Pastor Ham was teaching the word of God and then I remember him leaving and I remember being devastated and, and he moved away and Ministry was not easy for him through the years. God used him in a powerful way, but it's been a tough slug, hasn't it, Pastor Ham? But he's faithful and he continues to keep going on and we need people like that in our lives. And we need to be people like that to others that even through the storms and the trials, we have an anchor and we're going to hold on to it and it's the mighty word of God. And so we continue in this. Don't, don't give up. We continue in the word of God. I think of the dedicated Sunday school teachers. I had youth leaders that I gave fits to at times. I know that's hard to believe, but I did. Youth pastors who are tormented at times. Um, the faithful mentors in my life who have taught me not just through words, but by their actions. Again, most of these don't have glory stories of, of big bank accounts. In fact, I don't think any of them do. doesn't matter. It's the people who have stayed Try, through, through the trials and through the testings, faithful to the word of God, have been per, persevering. And Paul says to Timothy, continue in that. Continue to, to remember that, learn from that, and be that for others. You see, every Christian in this room that is serious about living for God, if you are truly living for him, you will need to pay a price. Perhaps you have already, some of you have but you will pay a price. Look at 2 Timothy 3.12. Paul says to Timothy, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Underline the word all, because all is in the passage, and it means all. All means all. It says all who want to live a godly life, you're going to face persecutions. 
every one of us. We might think, well, it's pretty easy in North America to, to live the Christian life. I, I'm glad I'm not in Iraq. I'm glad I'm not in Turkey. I'm not in one of those countries that is hostile to, to, to Christianity. You know, I think in some ways it's harder to live the gospel. It's harder to live for Christ here in North America than it is in some of those other countries. Whatever the trial, whatever it is, wherever you live, we will face the persecutions. We will come to that point where we will either say, I trust God, I trust Jesus, I believe in him, or I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. And are we ready and willing to pay the cost? Are we ready to make a move, to quit a job, to start something, to stop something, to confess something, whatever it is? And it may not go well in the short term, but we do it to honor God. Sooner or later, we'll be called to take a stand. Maybe it's in the workplace or in business. When you can't go with the flow with what is the common accepted practice in, in the workplace. Because God's word says that's wrong. It may cost you financially. Certain things you can't or won't do because of it. Families and fr- family members and friends may come to the point where you say, I love you. I love you, but I can't agree and support with, with your lifestyle or how you're living. The choices and decisions. And you, and, and you get maligned and you get betrayed and and awful things said about you you may get laughed at and ridiculed for for your beliefs they may call you narrow-minded a bible thumper unloving but we continue in what we've learned knowing that these will come and this is a part of life but we stand firm based on seeing others who have stood firm over the trials of life second of all we see here that we are anchored to the word of God, we are anchored in the word of God by living out the conviction that the Bible is the unchanging word. Living out the conviction that the, uh, that the Bible is the unchanging word of God. Look at in verse 16, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God. Underline the word all. Because again, all means all. Thank you. All 66 books, every one of them, even Leviticus, even Numbers, even all those genealogies don't mean very much to us. Boring. Can't even say most of those were snoozeville. Don't understand. No, I don't know who he's talking about. And those, you don't go get, a, get, get names today from, from a lot of those, those, those kind of interesting names in the Old Testament for, for your kids today. No, you don't do that. But to the Jewish people, genealogies were huge. And they're placed there to give credibility and an understanding to the unbelieving Jew. Even today. We see the power that there is in the word of God. Some translations will say inspired or breathed into by God. Do you believe this, that all scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God? Don't be too quick to say yes. Because so oftentimes we can say yes, but yes doesn't mean yes. Our statement of faith with Harvest, love it, you can find it online on our website. It says, the writers of Scripture were supernaturally moved along by the Holy Spirit to record God's very words, inerrant in the original writings. Scripture is fully trustworthy as our final and sufficient authority for all of life. And today, the Word of God is under attack. And again, it's not out there, it's within. It's within the church. And some of the greatest opposition that we'll see to the Word of God is happening and we're seeing denominations years ago, 20, 30 years ago, denominations that were saying we, we should really lower the standard, you know what, in order. You know what, we, we got to just look over some of those areas of sin in order to bring more people in because something's not happening. 
those denominations are pretty much done. They're, they're selling off their buildings. They're, they're, they're lifeless. They're, they're, they're people-less virtually. I mean, we're seeing this happen. And, and the opposite has happened. The lower the walls, fewer people. You see, one of the things that we're seeing is, are these kind of statements. I know the Bible says this, but here's what I think. Recently, I just heard of a youth pastor just last week who was kind of in an online forum with other youth pastors, and he said, oh, I love the word of God, but there's one area that God was wrong in, and it was in the area of sexuality. And this kind of story is getting repeated over and over again in our seminaries, in our churches, our pastors, people within the ranks of the church. You see, the Bible doesn't present itself as a pick-and-choose kind of thing. There's no sustaining power for life, for victory, if you make yourself the one who decides these things, the arbitrator of it all. I'll choose what I want to believe and what I don't want to believe. And see, oftentimes we think we, we need to change it or soften it a bit to fit the culture. No, Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus, the living word. Here's an anchor verse for you. Jesus, the living word, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. James 1.17 says, God does not change like shifting shadows. Luke 21.33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. God's minds, God's thoughts on sin, salvation, hell, sexual immorality hasn't changed. And this is a matter that we have to decide. We have to settle early on. We need to settle today. Is the word of God, the unchanging word of God in our life? You see, what we believe about scripture has everything to do with how we will remain in the word, how we will stand in the word, and how we will continue in the word. You can't pick and choose, you know, uh, the Bible like a buffet table. You know, like you go to one of those nice buffets, you know, you can go to the cheap ones, but you can go to the, the good ones too, and, and you're like, ooh, I'll take a little heaven, I'll take a little bit of prosperity, I'll take a little bit of good health, I'll, you know, oh, I don't want any of that hell stuff, I don't want any of that, you know, like don't tell me what to do when it comes to my sexuality, don't tell me that kind of thing, you know, and, you know, but ooh, I don't, but, 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 but I'll take some of that joy that, that the Bible promises. I'm not going to... That's old school what the Bible says about how we are to discipline our children. No, the Bible tells us how we are to discipline our children. It could get you into some trouble, but there's a right way and a wrong way to do that, and we need to do it in a biblical way. You pick and choose whether or not, oh, do I stay in my marriage, do I get out, you know? Paying my taxes, how, how do I go conduct my business? God's word is very clear on what we are to do. And Paul is reminding Timothy, he's saying, all scripture is breathed out by God. The Old Testament, the New Testament... Paul's saying, my own writings, the things I've written, I know it wasn't me, it was the Holy Spirit that empowered me to write those things. And so, obey them, Paul, or Timothy. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's all inspired. Number three, the third C, making a lifelong commitment to study and live out the word of God. All scripture is breathed out by God, verse 16, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. Paul is writing this to Timothy as a pastor and as, as an elder in the church, but this is a charge to everyone who claims the name of Christ. Once we've settled the authority issue in our lives, that all scripture is inspired by God, and that we are not the authority, but he is, it becomes profitable, valuable, there's power. 
What it, what, what's it profitable for? It says, well, for teaching and doctrine. It's valuable for teaching and doctrine. This is getting to know the heart of God. That when something comes along that has 95% truth but has 5% that isn't, you're able to, to identify and, and a growing kind of understand, okay, something's not quite right there in what that person just said. What I just heard on that podcast, I better check that in light of Scripture. I better make sure that, 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 that this isn't a bit of a derailment from the Word of God. This isn't in part of that 5%. So we measure it against the Word of God. And so, so we get to know the doctrine of God. We get to know the teaching. And it's good for reproof and correction. We don't like being told what to do or what to change in our life, but the Word of God tells us that. It's good for training in righteousness, telling us, how to live, what to do, what not to do. And the word of God produces mature Christians. It says, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That whatever we're facing in life, there's the equipping that comes through the word of God. And God has given us all that we need. Second Peter 1 verse 3 tells us that God has given us all that we need for a life of victory, for a life of power. And it comes through the knowledge of God, through his spirit, as we, we take his word and, and we humbly submit our lives before it. And see, when the battles come, when the lies come towards us in our head and our mind, instead of quoting the movie line, we quote the word of God. We say, it is written. When we stand on the word of God and say, it is written, there's power. Power to keep us from sin. Psalm 119, you'll read that this week when you read that anchor verse from, from chapter 119 and verses 11. It says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. God's word tells us, how can a young boy, how can our teenagers keep their way straight, keep their way pure by living according to the word of God? And today we're in that fight with, in marriages and families with idolatry all around us, materialism. And the things that, that kids face, the things that we can face, and, 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 and we see what's going on in our world, terrorism and economic just kind of downturns and chaos and craziness, and yet we're in this little bubble here in Kelowna. And we think it's good. No. One of the pastors who was here preaching from Harvest London, if you were here this summer, Pastor Norm, I talked to him a couple weeks ago and, and just uh, kind of got his thoughts on, on different things and, and uh, was just able to thank him personally for preaching while we were on holidays in Saskatchewan. And he said, Meldon, he said, he said, you've said a number of times when you've been uh, with us as pastors for different events, you've said that Kelowna is hard ground, that the Okanagan is, is, is tough ground because of materialism and entitlement and all that. And he said, you know, kind of thought, well, we all have that. It's everywhere. Welcome to Canada. Welcome to North America. But he said, man, he says, you guys there in the Okanagan, you're on steroids, <laughs> literally and figuratively. You know, just the entitlement. And, and we just think it's God's blessing. And people are not finding God in this. They're, they're becoming God. We're in this fight. But Ephesians 6, putting on the armor of God, says, talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. We can go into the fight, we can go into the battle, whether it's in our mind or whether it's in relationships, whether it's just in our finance, whatever it is that we are able to go with the word of God, the sword of the Spirit. And all of this comes down to you and me. Like Joshua when he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will follow the ways and the word of the Lord. This comes down to a personal decision. 
And so I ask you today, where are you at with the word of God? Do you treasure the word of God? Do we value the word of God? All of it, all of it, all 66 books, even Leviticus. Do we value it? Do we give it priority in our day, in our weekly schedule? Or does the word have priority? Or does God's word have priority over social media and Pinterest and Netflix and sports and hobbies and Facebook and Snapchat and all of that? This fall, I encourage you and I pray for myself, I pray for each one of you here today that you would take these truths and you would say, hey, I want to I anchor my soul. I want to anchor myself firmly in God's word this fall. You might say, I don't know how to study the word. I don't know, do I start in Genesis and work my way through? Be honest, if you don't know how to study the word of God, just send an email. Find out someone who you've been watching and learning from and say, how are you studying the word of God? How are you feeding yourself in the word of God? I appreciate the honesty of one of our men at men's breakfast. He said, I'd love to be able to learn how to study the word better. And, and, and this morning as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, you know what, it's like a sponge. You know, you get a sponge and it's full of water. How do you squeeze the most out of it? How can we squeeze the most out of God's word? Through studying it and learning it and being in community with one another. Make it a priority in your, in your own personal life. Make it a priority when it comes to church life, to community life, because we learn in community. We learn from those who've walked before us. We, we can help teach and we can learn from those who may be earlier on in their faith than us. They can often times teach us old fogies a lot more than we could ever know or understand just by their interest, by their questions, by what they're studying and reading, by their hunger. We surround ourselves in community. Make Sunday morning a priority. Not Pastor Pillow at 9.30. No, we're, we gather together. That, that you make priority the other opportunities that you have. There's, there, university students have, have opportunities to be studying the Word of God together on the campus. Ladies Bible study starting men's study. Make these things a priority because other things will take over. Small groups. Are you going to plan out your, your, your schedule? Oh, don't, don't really know if I'm going to have time for that. No, you say, I'm going to make time for the word of God personally and in community with one another. It is the power. It is the power to live a life of holiness and, and growing in our relationship with him. May we repent of our busyness and our laziness or our compromising our disobedience to the word of God. As I said earlier, if the word of God is not a part of our lives, true victory and joy and peace won't be either. Let's be in the word of God. I'm going to ask the band to come up at this time, and in a moment we're going to be singing a song, but before that I would love for you to consider making a declaration. We've done this a number of times. I'm not sure if we've done it in the last year or so. But this is a declaration that, first of all, I, I don't want you to declare something that you haven't seen ahead of time. And so I would love to read this for you. And then I would ask uh, us to prepare for our closing song and worship and, and to be able to, to make this a declaration if it is the desire in your heart. And, and it's called, This is My Bible. And, and the thing that we'll do in a moment after I read this, I'd ask you to 
hold up your phone or hold up your Bible if you have it here today and, and, and make that declaration that this is your Bible. And so this is what I'm going to read here and, and I'm going to ask you then to join me in a moment, but I want you to hear it first and see it first. I, this is my Bible. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am going where it says I will go. God's word is milk for my soul. God's word is seed for my faith. God's word is light for my path. God's word is power for my victory. God's word is freedom for my life. When I read God's word, it brings me joy. When I study God's word, it keeps me from shame. When I memorize God's word, it purifies my heart. When I quote God's word, it defeats my enemies. When I meditate on God's word, it brings me success. When I abide in God's word, it gives me confidence. I am a Bible believer, believing follower of Jesus Christ. And I trust that even now as we stand together and we're going to sing a song of declaration, uh, join me in standing, have your Bibles handy, and I would love for this to be a declaration. And if you would like to make this declaration, encourage you, if you don't have your Bible or whatever, just hold up your hand just as a declaration. And, and as we read this, I trust that this fall that this would be one. You say, I'm nowhere there yet, but, but, but my heart is being stirred. This is a prayer. This is a desire of my heart. I encourage you to raise your hand and make this declaration. Let's read it together. This is my Bible. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am going where it says I will go. God's word is milk for my soul. God's word is seed for my faith. God's word is light for my path. God's word is power for my victory. God's word is freedom for my life. When I read God's word, it brings me joy. When I study God's word, it keeps me from shame. When I memorize God's word, it purifies my heart. When I quote God's word, it defeats my enemies. When I meditate on God's word, it brings me success. When I abide in God's word, it gives me confidence. I am a Bible-believing follower of Jesus Christ. May this song be a declaration of where you're at today.